Confident Sensuality, written and narrated by A. Vandegroos. Prologue. Melissa, honey, she can't be serious right now, but a girl can only hope. She does it again. Melissa! My name echoes through the cathedral ceilings and down the long hallways that make up our home. Come down here. I need a little help. The panic in her voice makes her French accent sound even more French, and that should alarm the average 14-year-old girl. But I am not average, nor is my mother. And since we're on a roll here, neither is my father. For starters, tutors for three different languages, French, Italian, and Spanish, have frequented our home since I was five. I have learned the art of fencing, for crying out loud, and I have an English tutor for, get this, pronunciation, grammar, and vocabulary expansion. We can thank my over-the-top mother for that. I realize I'm being repetitive, but we, my friends, are not an average family. It'll do you some good to remember that. Melissa, I'm tired, please. Yes, mother, so am I. I roll my eyes because her theatrics have always been her strongest trait. Not her best, but definitely her strongest. Melissa. That time my name held no panic, all business. I always found it interesting how my mother could switch into another emotion with pristine ease, without a trace of evidence of the previous emotion. So I answer, hoping that I at least sound tired. I mean, I don't sleep. And somehow, instead of my eyelids getting heavier as the night carries on, they remain wired, almost as if they're preparing for the sun to rise. So here I am at 3 a.m., wide awake. Yes, mother, come here. Yeah, she's definitely done panicking. What on earth could possibly be so important that I have to be removed from my queen-size bed at three o'clock in the freaking morning? I drag myself out of bed, nearly sliding off because of my satin sheets, and shuffle to the hall to follow the remnants of her persistent echoes. The closer to the spiral stairs I get, the easier it is to hear our dog, Max, panting. Except Max is snoring. Therefore, Max is not panting. Someone, as in a human is actually panting. I'm thinking maybe it's because of the house's ability to make everything sound so pregnant with volume. Maybe that's why it sounds like panting? I slowly descend the first set of stairs towards said panting, and of course the closer I get, the more noises my ears discover. Was that something being dragged? I've made it to the second floor now, it's a three-story house, and I hear my mother say, pass me the tape. She's likely speaking to my 14-year-old cousin, Ramona. My mother likes to call us fraternal twins, and every time she does, I roll my eyes. My cousin's parents, who also happened to be my aunt and uncle on my dad's side, died in a tragic accident when she was four. So she has been with us ever since. She, too, has endured the abundance of tutor glee. I finally made it to the source of the array of sounds, the kitchen. My ever-so-helpful cousin is running the duct tape over to my mother, who is hovering over my very still father. My father is incredibly still. My father is not moving. My English tutor always stressed the need to be specific in my writing. She would say, and if you feel that you have difficulty with that, start by being more specific with your speaking. Add details, be more descriptive and read more challenging books to enhance your vocabulary. Let it become second nature. I do like English. 
There is no steady rise and fall of his chest, no color or moisture to his originally voluminous reddish-brown lips. His smooth, dark brown skin that contributed to my mocha complexion is now a dusky gray hue. My mother, sporting red cheeks, looks up at me. Her usual blonde straightened bob is pulled into a short ponytail at the base of her skull. Her bright blue eyes are rimmed with red, and her hairline is decorated with beads of sweat. I gaze over at my cousin, and she is simply following my mother's line of vision. I, too, am very still, since I refuse to add any more clamor to the symphony taking place in the kitchen until someone offers me an explanation as to what is truly going on. Chapter 1. Seven Years Later. Melissa's Perspective. Why am I even taking this suicide-inducing class? I shake my head, pushing a wayward curl out of my face as I approach my genetics lecture hall. Why didn't we ever have a science tutor? I hover outside the class waiting for Lacey, my stereotypically intelligent Asian, specifically Korean, best friend to arrive so that we can sit next to each other in class like children. Honestly, she is the reason I'm not failing miserably. Granted, I am rather close, but that's not the point. The real reason I want to sit beside her is because when I don't fully follow the direction that the lecturer is going in, which happens quite often, I'll glimpse over to her notes. I'll ask her questions and observe her interpretation, and that usually aids in decreasing my lack of understanding. My professor doesn't appear to like me very much, nor does it seem that he has a great deal of patience where my understanding of this course is concerned. I'm certain of that because every time he catches me looking at Lacey's notes or conversing with her, he'll pause and make it a point to express his disapproval with his condescending stares or his stern disciplinary comments. Or he'll do that amazing thing where he'll put me on the spot, knowing I'm passing his class by the fine hairs on my chinny chin chin, and that the likelihood of me knowing the answer to anything he asks me is slim to none. Initially, it made me uncomfortable. Well, I'm still uncomfortable. But now I find great pleasure in challenging his intense, green-eyed, unspoken threats. As a matter of fact, while we await Lacey's notoriously late arrival, let's discuss just how intense Professor Angelo is. He leaks sex. I said it, and I meant it. The man has no right to make me feel like a porn star every time he looks at me for more than a couple seconds at a time. It certainly doesn't help that he looks like an Adonis, with his curly, dark brown hair, each lock moving in a direction of its own, olive skin, plump lips, and stupendously straight white teeth. Not that he smiles much. He has a uniquely imperfect nose, and that simple fact makes him more real to me. It's slightly bent at the bridge, which I'm sure is evidence of a recent poorly healed fracture. Knowing the little that I do know about him, he probably refused to give the poor nose the appropriate amount of medical attention necessary. Moving forward, he towers over my five foot seven frame at approximately six feet four inches. His voice, my God, his deep raspy bedroom voice has each and every female in here sitting on the edge of her seat, praying for more recognition from him, any recognition from him. He doesn't particularly give any indication that he's aware of his Hollywood looks. However, let's say he is aware. Let's say he knows exactly what he does to women. It wouldn't make a difference because he's still one of the world's finest assholes. 
I shake my head and purse my lips at his receding back, glimpsing into the classroom. Hey, hey, Lacey has finally graced me with her presence. I glance down at my wrist, peering at a watch, a watch that isn't actually on my wrist. I don't own watches. What's this? You're on time? I finally glance at the time on my phone. She smirks. Lacey, in all her Asian-ness, has swag that emanates from her pores. She's gay, and she owns that part of herself, rather proudly, might I add, but only to the public eye. However, never in front of her family. They're all rather old-school Asian, so it is highly likely that they won't stand for her identification of sexuality. I always tell her she can't live like this forever, hiding who she is from her family. She doesn't like to discuss it for too long. She has long, dark hair with blonde tips and a lean physique, and her best features, I always tell her, are her hazel eyes and her lips. They're a lot more plush than the rest of her family's. I always joke with her and tell her that her mom must have had a fair share of friends in her day. She looks nothing like her father. Shrugging, she starts, not sure I'm interested in another one of Angelo's stares of disapproval. I put on my best shocked face. What? You mean you don't like it when he peers into the deepest, darkest depths of your soul? She rolls her eyes. All right, Shakespeare. We stroll into the room of doom together. Angelo slides his black-rimmed glasses off his face in a casual manner and simply says, Good morning, Miss Santino. That would be me. Miss Kim. And that's Lacey. Lacey Kim. Pause. So that greeting would have been normal had he looked at Lacey when he said her name. But he didn't. Instead, he looked at me for the entire duration of the time it took for him to address us both. Morning, Lacey mumbles, oblivious, uninterested, unbothered. I know we've been over this already, but chills never cease to run down my spine every time he says my name. However, like I said, I have to challenge him. So I stare back. Angelo. Professor. Professor Angelo, he corrects me. I snap my fingers. Oh, yeah, that's right. Forgot you were the professor for a second. Yes, I am being sarcastic. Yes, I am enjoying it. And yes, I do this very often to the Adonis professor. Lacey chuckles. You're pushing it. I shrug. I'm not quite tired of the way he peers into my soul. He's disconcerting, yes, but somehow alluring. Weird ass, Lacey confirms. I laugh a little too loud. We've known this. We take our seats and class begins with genotypes and phenotypes. And of course, Angelo asks me the first question. I fight the urge to roll my eyes. Melissa, if you could get us started by explaining the difference between genotypes and phenotypes for the class, that'd be stellar. Thanks. I glimpse at Lacey, but it appears that she too is enjoying this travesty. Shaking my head at the traitor that is my friend, I answer confidently, and what does Angelo say? Wrong. Of course. How? I try not to put too much disappointment in my voice, but if I'm going to judge my success by the smug look on Angelo's face, I'd conclude that a failure is on my horizon. Well, for starters, you seem a bit uncertain. You've defined one as the other. Even with that being said, I asked for the difference. You merely defined them. Incorrectly. I straight-faced him. Ass. Well, if you could just go right ahead and correct me for the benefit of a better education, that'd be stellar. Thanks. It's awfully quiet in here. Side conversations and the pointless chatter that contributed to the constant background hum of the lecture hall has now come to an end. 
Angelo smirks ever so slightly, nodding as if admitting defeat. But I can assure you, there will be more. This is simply Angelo tipping his hypothetical hat off to me. All right, class. And lecture begins, leaving me feeling just a tad bit on the edge of my seat. Like all these other attention-starved women in this godforsaken class. Chapter 2. Melissa's Perspective In these last few minutes of class, I start gathering my belongings, not bothering at all about potentially missing important content, because I don't understand a damn thing that's being transcribed anyways. I'll be paying Lacey and beer and pizza later to basically reteach the entirety of this lecture. At the official end of class, I'm pitching my offer to Lacey when Angelo calls my name. I knew it. I knew there'd be more. Lacey gives me a knowing smirk, nodding her head towards the door, signifying where she'd be waiting. Everyone is filing out, drooling over the elusive Angelo. Meanwhile, I'm once again fighting one of my frequent urges to roll my eyes. What's up? I fear that you're failing my course. And not only that, but you don't seem to be taking it very seriously. I'm not failing. I'm almost failing. I think almost failing is proof that I care enough to not actually be failing. He smirks, shaking his head. I'm not sure that's the kind of attitude that will help you pass. I beg to differ. I'm not failing, Angelo. So on the contrary, this attitude is currently keeping me afloat. Melissa, you're only half a point away from failing. There aren't very many assignments left. You don't have any wiggle room, meaning I know what that means. These last couple of assignments, he continues, as if I never cut him off, and the final are all you have. You cannot afford to do poorly on anything from this point. Wow, no pressure. On the contrary, Melissa, there is an immense amount of pressure where your final grade is concerned. He picks up his stupid briefcase. Take heed. Great, I'm dismissed. What was that? Lacey asks, practically inhaling a cinnamon roll from the vending machine. He just kindly wanted to reiterate how poorly I was doing and maybe sprinkle a little judgment on me. No biggie. She laughs, as if you didn't already know. You're shit at this class. Wow, your support is one of a kind. She shrugs. Since we're all stating the obvious... Lacey trails off. I follow her line of vision to the bohemian, full-bodied sophomore, Candace. Lacey's crush or obsession. Are you going to go speak with her or I ask slowly, dragging my words for the sole purpose of being annoying. What? She asks, distracted. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going over there. She stands right next to me. Right. So the only way to move is, is to uh, to move. Fuck you. I laugh. I'm serious. Just go. I nudge her shoulder with mine. Despite her initial trepidation, her swag remains intact as she saunters over to the brown-skinned beauty. I stand there watching the interaction when my ass vibrates. Not even looking yet, I know it's my mother. However, I will say I'm surprised. She usually calls at the very inappropriate times of 3 a.m. The last time she called, it was 3.30 a.m. Mother, how are you? My voice remains even, since it doesn't take much for her to assume the worst. Oh, busy, honey. Ramona has all these award ceremonies coming up, and her graduation is right around the corner. 
Ah, yes. Ramona. My cousin is graduating early because she's an unbelievable overachiever. Meanwhile, I can't get my genetics professor out of my ass about almost failing. That's right. I feign interest. When is her graduation again? A conversation with my mother is never complete unless we discuss my cousin's accomplishment. Oh, she's right here. Why don't you just speak to her? I hate when she does this. Not right now, mother. I I have to study for... Just hang on for one second, Melissa. I throw a silent temper tantrum. There's some shuffling about sounds on the phone, and my patience with my mother immediately wears thin. Mother! Nope. It's Ramona. Great. Now I have to force a painful conversation with the bitch that is my cousin. Hi, Ramona. Melissa. I roll my eyes. How is everything back home? I'm at Brown University in Rhode Island, and she's back home preparing to graduate from, wait for it, Harvard fucking University. Massachusetts, it's home for me, so I'm only a little over an hour away from them. I hardly ever go back. It's great. She always sounds so nice and sweet and smug. Well, that's nice. And now we sit on the phone in pure silence because we do not like one another. It's that simple. Ramona is a beautiful, smooth, dark black. She has never had a blemish, not a single flaw on her skin. Her eyes are dark but nicely almond-shaped. Her hair has always been thick and voluminous. And even though she was always more plump, she carried her weight well. I'm putting mom back on the phone. She calls my mother mom. She's my cousin. She should be calling her Aunt Lisa. Why am I so bitter about this, you ask? Because Ramona is a bitch, just in case I haven't mentioned it. I refuse to even pretend that we share a womb. Great. More shuffling noises. Melissa, honey, will you be able to make it to her graduation? She has to know how many tickets to request. Not a chance in the pit of hell. I'll have to see what I have going on that weekend. Nothing. I have nothing going on. We talk about Ramona's accomplishments once more, the weather, her busy life as a real estate agent, and then finally, my non-existent sex life. Are you dating yet? I've had one boyfriend my entire life. We broke up a year ago, and you would have thought he and my mother broke up. No, mother, not dating. She sighs. Her theatrics were always overabundant. Well, what's the problem? You need to show Roderick my ex, that you've moved on. I'm not sure I do. As a matter of fact, I don't care what Roderick thinks. That's the honest to God truth. Honey, don't be silly. It's not about caring. I swear sometimes my own mother's theories are as difficult to understand as my genetics course. These games are never ending, she continues. No matter what, you must always come out on top. You're gorgeous for crying out loud. Why aren't you dating? I'm over this conversation. Not quite sure. Are you dating? I don't care, but she clearly wants to talk about dating. Yes, honey, and he is sex on a stick. I nearly gag. This conversation needs to end. Mom, I have to go. Really? We just got on the phone. No, but you just said sex on a stick. Yep, gotta go. I'll call you later. She sighs. All right, honey. We hang up and I glimpse back over it where I left Lacey. She is still there working her charm, eliciting a smile from that bohemian goddess. So I guess I'll just find a corner and continue to contemplate life. 
I wander outside to a nearby courtyard and pull out the shittastic notes I took in lecture today. Despite the fall breeze, the sun's beams are spectacular, making it rather noticeable when a shadow obstructs its bright rays. I look up, and it's none other than Professor Angelo. This time, I do roll my eyes because Jesus. Can I help you, Angelo? Professor Angelo. I shrug. Details. He picks up my notes and peers at them through squinted eyes and furrowed eyebrows. Melissa, these notes are disgraceful. His voice, like I said, is like an orgasm for the eardrums, but it holds no emotion. Ever. I laugh. He doesn't think it's funny. They do suck, I concede, but at least I took notes. That is a very poor point, but for dramatic effect, I snatch the notes out of his hands. Right, he says, looking directly into my soul. And I suppose that these are the notes that will save you from failing my class, that is? Well, not these notes specifically. I am clearly not taking his concern seriously. He doesn't seem to like that very much. The thought elicits another laugh from the base of my throat, making this one just a little deeper than the last. Melissa, his tone carrying the weight of disdain, and I do not like that, so I don't let him finish his thought. Why do you care so much? I ask. Excuse me? You heard me. What kind of question is that? One that you seem to be having a hard time answering. You're one of my students, Melissa. Why wouldn't I want you to succeed? I purse my lips. Angelo, I know I'm not the only one doing poorly in your class. It's science, for Christ's sake, America's least favorite subject. Why is it that I seem to be the only one getting all of these little special meetings about my almost failing grade? Guess who has a date Friday night, bitch? That would be Lacey, perfectly interrupting my near breakthrough with the Adonis that stands before me. Oh, shit. That would be her recognizing exactly what I just narrated. I shake my head. I lean forward, not too forward, where this looks suspicious, but close enough so only he can hear. Saved by the bell, Professor Angelo. He smiles, and fuck me, it's replacing the sun's rays. Until next time, Melissa. He walks away. That is one perfectly sculpted ass, Lacey whispers. I laugh. Why are you whispering? She shrugs. I don't know. I saw you and Angelo doing it. My laughter only gets louder, attracting prying eyes. So about this date, I inquire. We discuss her pending date and the fact that my pending failure is dependent on how good of a teacher she can be over the next few weeks of class.